three, two, one. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Anyone Can Run podcast. The podcast for those brand new to running who want to make sure they begin their journey on the road to Gainesville on the right foot. I am your host, True Bros, aka Gabe, aka the soon-to-be face of Mixer, and I am an NCCA certified personal trainer who specializes in playing games, making gains, and helping clients reach their health and fitness goals. This is the podcast where we cover nutrition, training, running gear, Everything you need to know about what it takes to complete your first race, whether it's a 5K, full marathon, or anything in between. Now, ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys, let me just apologize. I know we haven't dropped a new episode of the Anyone Can Run podcast in some weeks. I've been preoccupied with work stuff. I actually just began a new job last week, so I haven't had time to sit down and smash that record button. I've left y'all without a dope podcast to step to, and if you don't get that reference, you might be a youngling or a young runner, which means you should probably be following the most aggressive, motivational, and family-friendly organization on Mixer, aka The Mix Gym, located at mixer.com slash truebros, but that's a conversation for another day. Regardless, it's time to get back in the saddle and back on the road to Gainesville. Signing up for your first race is an exciting time. Regardless of the distance, if you're a brand new runner, knowing you're going to line up at the start line beside hundreds or potentially thousands of your fellow runners, odds are you want to go full pedal to the metal and dive deep into a training plan. In my personal and professional opinion, as someone who has helped tons of people on their personal journey on the road to Gainesville, the hardest portion of the race training process is genuinely committing and carving the time out to get workouts in and knowing what foods to eat and all that. Once you've seriously committed, and not just provided lip service to saying you're going to alter your lifestyle to reach your health and fitness goals, you've already accomplished the hardest part, so I say go sign up for a race. Once you find a plan to stick to, or begin to work with a personal trainer to get on the road to Gainesville, a litany of lifestyle changes are required, like we just mentioned. While it's difficult, but not physically impossible, to go cold turkey and switch up your entire eating style, you can't go from straight off the couch, meaning you haven't done any sort of strenuous physical activity for years, to running a full marathon. Maybe by some sort of insane amount of mental toughness and luck you could try, but odds are you'd have a real bad time and your body probably couldn't handle the stress. The point is, you've got to ease into your training and refine your body to the point where it can handle distance running, resistance training, all of that. Today, we're going to dive deep into what is typically the most overlooked aspect of a marathon training cycle, rest and recovery. We're going to discuss identifying the difference between pain and soreness, some methods for recovery such as heat and icing, and my personal experience with topical ointments, active recovery options, and what to do when you need to take time off. Over the course of our conversations here on Anyone Can Run, we've discussed the significance of learning how to listen to our body. This is the single most important skill a runner can develop, and it's one that no one else can show you how to do. It takes time and experience to refine this, and an integral part of this process is rest and recovery. I'd reckon most people have been sore at one point or another. Maybe you went for a run and you hadn't in forever. You lifted weights in the gym with someone for the first time in years. Maybe you were moving and had to move a bunch of big heavy boxes. The point is, most people are familiar with the feeling of being sore. If you begin a workout regimen straight from scratch, odds are you're going to be incredibly sore. So sore that it practically hurts. 
but don't forget why you're sore. I bring this up because I want you to close your eyes and reflect, unless, you know, you're driving or running or something, and I want you to mentally and physically go back to a time where you were sore and remember how it felt. Now juxtapose that with a time you broke or fractured a bone, smashed your finger in a door, stubbed your toe against something big and bulky, got a cramp in your calf, tripped and fell and smacked your face. Those are instances of dealing with unexpected and sudden pain. Being able to tell the difference between being sore and being in pain is incredibly important and enables you to have realistic conversations about how you're physically doing, both with a medical professional and with yourself. If you're feeling too sore to move, you might just need to take a day off or do some active recovery, which we'll discuss at length in a few minutes. If you're in pain for an extended period of time and you've become adept enough at knowing how you feel and listening to your body, then you know it's more than likely time to go see a doctor. The point is, with enough time and experience, you'll be able to acknowledge when it's time to take it easy and when you need to stop completely. Additionally, with enough running and mileage and all that, you'll be able to not only tell the difference between soreness and pain, but you'll be able to identify when you're on the cusp of being in pain. I told this story on our first episode, but I signed up for my first marathon with about five months notice, despite never having run over like five miles in my life. What can I say? I like to live on the edge. In preparation for the race, the longest run I quote unquote completed was 17 miles. I throw those verbal air quotes around the word completed because I didn't really run much of that distance, and I actually ended up literally limping the final three miles back to my car. Around the six or seven mile mark of that run, I felt a slight twinge in my calf. Nothing severe, I just sort of noticed my calf, when all the other times I've gone running, I never did. However, a few miles after I noticed my calf, I ended up getting the absolute worst cramp of my life. I didn't collapse, but I needed to sit down for a few minutes because the pain was unbearable. After regrouping and getting as good as I possibly could, I ended up limping and barely walking the remaining three miles. And I forget exactly how long it took, but I know it was at least two hours to limp all the way back to my car, and it was absolutely brutal. It was painful, stupid, and it took me weeks to feel comfortable running again. So much so, I ended up only completing one run a week in the entire month leading up to the race, which is the last thing you want to do when you're preparing for your first race. In a perfect world, you're racking up conditioning runs and then knocking out extended mileage runs, so you're getting more running under your belt to build strength, conditioning, and above all, confidence. However, if you're a total dummy boy like I was and ignore the warning signs afforded to you by your body indicating that something isn't normal and has the potential to balloon into something real bad like an injury or strain, then all you're doing is playing yourself. That being said, experiencing that tingling which led to a cramp served as a particularly painful lesson that paid tremendous dividends, so I guess that's looking on the bright side, you know? Right around the halfway point of my first marathon, I began to feel a similar sensation in my calf. Remembering full well how I limped in excruciating pain back to my car during that final long run, I elected to ease off the throttle and work in numerous walking segments, as I was sticking to an interval of 5 minutes running and 1 minute walking during that race. Sure, I wasn't enthralled knowing I was having to take it easy on account of my calf and the fact I had to truncate and then around the mile 18 mark essentially eliminate all running segments meant my time to completion for the marathon balloon significantly. This meant I needed to stay mentally dialed in for longer and the prospect of actually completing the race seemed to grow more and more impossible by the moment. 
While it's true my needing to eliminate the running segments meant my first marathon became a much more difficult mental task, doing so meant I was physically able to complete the mileage, and I ended up crossing the finish line in a time of 6 hours, 10 minutes, and 46 seconds. We devote a lot of time here at Anyone Can Run, discussing the steps necessary to cultivate the marathon mentality, because training for and completing a marathon is an immensely difficult mental task. You've got to be focused on running, log a pretty hefty number of miles, and most importantly, devote a large amount of time over months to physically prepare for the task. Tangentially, this is why I absolutely recommend every single runner, regardless of distance, predilections, and fitness goals, endeavor to complete at least one full marathon. There's nothing better to instill discipline than knowing you're going to have to complete 26.2 miles continuously in the upright position, and I've always believed having a concrete goal, such as a race on the calendar, keeps you on the straight and narrow. So to summarize, go sign up for a full marathon, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, anyways, we gotta get back on track. The point with my relaying this painful story was to reiterate you need to be able to differentiate between being sore, being in pain, being tired, all that. Over the course of your training, you're going to experience this gambit of physical sensations, and it behooves you to be able to note intricately how each feels. Again, no other human being on the face of planet Earth knows exactly how you're feeling, and the better you're able to know your own body, the more you can personalize your training and rest and recovery sessions to maximize your gains. The more you know, and all that. Now we've already discussed ad nauseum. If you need to take time off or go see a medical professional, do it. The entire point of living a healthy and fit lifestyle is to take care of our bodies and pushing ourselves harder than we need to is a recipe for disaster. But let's say you've a minor injury, and I mean so minor, you genuinely believe a day or two of rest will make you feel right as rain, and you're looking to help expedite the healing process. Again, you're the adult here, and you need to be honest with yourself. If you're truly hurting and need to go see a medical professional, get off your tail and go get the job done. I'll readily confess, I have a history of accidentally rolling my ankles more frequently than I'd care to admit, whether it be during a race, on a scooter, or literally just going down a single step, and in cases such as that, I know I absolutely only need to refrain from a couple days of running to feel back at 100%. This is a story I'll dive into at length when we recap my first stab at the Dopey Challenge next week, but I rolled my ankle with the finish line in sight during the 5k. For the uninitiated, the Dopey Challenge consists of running four races in four days, a 5k, 10k, half marathon, and full marathon. Since I rolled my ankle and still had three full races to go, along with multiple days of traversing the Disney parks, I went with the tried and true rice approach whenever I retired to my room for the evening. I know your ears perked up because you heard rice. And no, I don't mean soaking my foot in rice like it's a phone you dropped in the toilet after a drunken night of debauchery. Rice is an acronym standing for rest, ice, compression, and elevation. Although it may be self-explanatory, anyone can run is attended for brand new runners who might not be familiar with the concept of compression or necessarily understand what elevation entails. So let's take a second and dive into each component of the rice method. The first piece of it is in the title of today's episode, rest. Take it easy. Avoid any activity that causes pain or discomfort, and if possible, stay off whatever is bothering you. For me, this is typically an ankle. Like I said, I have a tendency to roll my ankle, man. You ever get on those little automated scooters that cost like a buck for a minute or whatever? Yeah, every single time I use one, I roll my ankle. 
Anyways, next up, ice. You'll want to use an ice pack or a plastic bag full of ice or even a bag of frozen peas or something ASAP after rolling an ankle for 15 to 20 minutes. And you'll want to repeat every two to three hours while you're awake. For awareness, ice isn't typically applied directly to your skin, which is why you opt for bags or ice packs or what have you. After ice, we're talking compression, and this is done typically with one of those brown elastic medical bandages. The key with compression, and a lesson I had to learn through significant trial and error, is to have the bandage snug, but not so tight that it's cutting off circulation or causing numbness or anything like that. If you feel more pain or tingling or any additional discomfort, odds are the bandage is too tight. So feel free to wrap, unwrap, and wrap multiple times until you feel like you've gotten the bandage snug, but not tight. As for elevation, you just want the injured body part to be above heart level, so you don't have to contort yourself like a gymnast to get your ankle or knee up at a crazy angle. Typically, just a pillow or puffy blanket will more than suffice. That's the rice principle in a nutshell, and it's what you do for a minor sprain or strain at home or while on the road. The key word here is minor, and whether you're a runner or not, odds are you're at least marginally familiar with telling the difference between soreness, pain, and significant debilitating pain. I alluded to my tendency to roll my ankle earlier because like I said, I know that with a day or two of rest, I'll be right as rain. However, I've also been a runner for about three years now, played sports from middle school through college, lifted weights regularly since graduating college and all that, so I've become quite familiar with delineating between something minor, which I know will only require temporary rest, and something significant, which will require me to go see a medical professional. This is why it's so important for us to learn to listen to our bodies, so we can make all these decisions on the fly, keep us in tip-top shape, and keep us moving forward on the road to Gainesville. Since we just talked about the rice method, which involves ice, now's as good a time as any to talk about using different heating methods, such as heating pads or a warm bath. Typically, ice is used on minor injuries, pain and swelling, and heat is used to relax muscles and increase blood flow. Again, this is all temporary stuff to relieve slight pain, and this information is presented from one runner to another, and I've already hammered home 80 times you should see a medical professional if there's even a slight possibility you think something could be severe. Over the years, I, and by extension my clients, have seldom used heat except when incredibly sore or when muscles or joints feel stiff, such as the morning after a long run, after taking weeks off with no warm-up and no foam rolling session, which for the record is not something you want to do. Additionally, if you have a health issue or believe you may have something which causes you to have an adverse reaction to the application of heat or cold, be sure to talk to your medical professional to see if there are any potential problems before trying these methods out. Again, we want to always be smart, and having an open dialogue with our medical professional is a dang good thing. As far as topical ointments, or counter-irritants, or whatever you like to refer to them as, when I was brand new to running, and making numerous mistakes and trying to negate soreness, the only one I ever slathered on was Biofreeze. It's similar to Icy Hot, as it's a topical ointment slash cream, which alternates between cold and then hot to help alleviate soreness and minor pain. And typically, you'll find it all over a race course. If you're looking for something you can apply for a minor ache or pain the day after a long run, there's no harm in giving Biofreeze a shot, as many runners swear by it. That being said, we certainly don't want to have to be icing, using heat, or applying a topical pain reliever every single time we go for a run. And that's something I want to hammer home. Just because we're talking about different methods for rest and recovery, just think about it for a second. 
If you've been running for three months and you're having to ice after every single run, even when you're going slow, it's potentially indicative of a larger issue, and there's a possibility you may be doing more harm than good to yourself. It's possible your running form may be off, you may not be wearing the correct shoes, you may be needing to incorporate some resistance training or bodyweight exercises to help combat the natural muscular imbalances created by running, maybe you've a lingering issue you're unaware of. There could be a litany of reasons things don't feel natural while running, and this is where involving a personal trainer and or a medical professional on your journey on the road to Gainesville can be tremendously beneficial. Now let's switch gears and talk about those days where you aren't running, but you're feeling strong and tough and you want to do something, but you know you shouldn't run because you don't want to overwork yourself. This is where we can dive into one of my favorite subjects as a trainer and marathoner, active recovery. The reason I love active recovery is because I love constantly doing some form of physical activity. And as much as I love running, I don't really want to do it every single day since variety is the spice of life and all that. We, as new runners who are training for our first race, are sticking to a training plan which calls for running three to four days a week, typically. So on those off days, where we're feeling loose and good and we want to get some type of work in, we can use those as an active recovery day. Bear in mind, resting is an essential part of a training plan, so we don't want to do active recovery on every single non-running day. With experience and training, you'll be able to perform active recovery on multiple days per week, but when you're first starting out, you may not want to perform it at all. Once you find your personal rhythm and recognize which day of the week is ideal for you, aim to complete active recovery once a week or so. During my first marathon training cycle, I hardly performed active recovery at all, although now I like to complete it twice a week. As far as what activities constitute active recovery, aim for cross-training exercises such as cycling or biking, hiking, yoga, swimming, the elliptical, bodyweight exercises, pretty much anything other than running which isn't too strenuous on your calves. The key for active recovery is effort. And don't forget, we're talking about recovery here, so you don't want to be going full throttle like you're about to finish a race. Regardless of your preferred exercises, keep the intensity low. If you're hiking, go for a leisurely stroll for an hour. Don't be scaling mountains or carting around 100-pound rucksacks. If you're doing something like yoga or bodyweight exercises, aim to break a light sweat and ensure you're able to carry on a full conversation at the end of your exercise, just like when you begin running. You can do what I instruct clients to do, and that's recite the alphabet every few minutes when they're doing yoga or the elliptical or whatever to ensure they aren't going too hard. Or you can do what I do and repeat sentences I hear from whatever podcast I'm listening to while performing active recovery. Active recovery is fantastic because you can cross-train to correct some of the muscular imbalances created by running, keep up with your cardiovascular and muscular gains, and do something which isn't running, which is nice even if you're dedicated to pounding the pavement. However, be mindful. Our goal with this is to allow our muscles time to recover, so keep the intensity low. If you're just starting out, and want to do some form of active recovery, but feel as if any of the aforementioned exercises would be too strenuous for your fitness level, and you don't have access to something like a stationary bike, go for a nice walk outdoors. Not only will you get some sun, but don't forget, walking or hiking is a completely underrated form of active recovery. That being said, if you need to take time off, especially in the beginning, because you don't want to wear yourself out or get dejected, feel free to save your effort for the next run on your training plan. 
Thus far, we've hammered home the importance of learning how to listen to your body so you can differentiate between pain and soreness. We've discussed various forms of pain alleviation and recovery options such as the RICE method, heat and topical ointments, and we've also discussed when to add active recovery into your training plan, and briefly mentioned a few options you can do. The last thing we're going to discuss is when you need to take time off and what to do when you're taking time off. In prior episodes, we've covered how it's important for new runners to find and stick to a training plan that provides adequate time to prepare for whatever race you've signed up for. So let's say you're a month into your training plan. You're running three days a week and doing active recovery one day a week. When should you be resting? You guessed it, the other three days of the week. As far as what to be doing on a day where you're resting and refraining from running or any type of strenuous physical activity. The answer is simple, you're not going to believe it. Live your dang life and don't go for a run. Go to work, school, shop, run errands, wash clothes, whatever. Just don't go out and run or do a form of active recovery. During the first few weeks or months, if you're brand new to running, I'd reckon this will be easy. You'll possibly be sore, still working running into your daily schedule, and taking some time off will be welcomed and easy peasy. But as the race inches closer, and you feel yourself getting more dialed in, getting a little faster and stronger and running a little further, it may get a little more difficult. You may feel like you want to get out and run or do active recovery every single day so you can get more training in. And at this point, you need to listen to the face of Mixer and ease off the throttle. It takes our body some time to get accustomed to the rigors of running, and it takes a long time to build up cardiovascular and muscular strength. Over the course of this process, odds are you're going to get more adept at listening to your body, and not only will this allow you to know the difference between pain and soreness and fatigue and all that, but you'll know when you can push or when you need to take it easy. During the course of training for your first race, stick to your training plan. If you feel physically strong enough to add in a day or even two of active recovery, go ahead, but remember to keep it at a low intensity. If you're sort of stuck between feeling well enough to do something but don't want to add in a day of active recovery because you don't think you're just there yet, do an extended foam rolling session on your lower half to keep everything loose or go for a walk. Remember, the road to Gainesville is long, but baby, baby, it's worth it. When you're training for your first race, our only goal is to cross the finish line in the upright position. So listen to your body. Take some time off when you need to, and if you need assistance from a medical professional or a personal trainer, go get it. I've said it before and I'll say it again. I'm absolutely the kind of person who never wants to ask for help, never wants to show any sign of weakness, always wants to be moving forward, loves finding answers for themselves, and I believe I'm smart enough to do so. However, I've explained how this led to years of lifting weights with improper form, which conversely led to me tweaking various joints and entirely preventable muscle strains. It also led to a ton of wasted money, as I spent quite a decent chunk of change on shoes I could only use a handful of times because they weren't right for my feet. The point is, if something doesn't feel right and you're going through the scientific method in your head, trying to deduce the variables which may be the cause of it, whether it's gear, form, your personal biology, weather, whatever, there's nothing wrong with having an open dialogue with people in the know and seeking some assistance. If you suspect your shoes may be the culprit, hit up a specialty running store and get fitted. If you think it's a lingering physical issue, hit up a medical professional or two and see what they think. 
If you think you need to correct your form and get into rolling out to get your muscles ready for working out, find yourself a personal trainer you can work with one-on-one. It doesn't need to be me, although I'm here to tell you nobody does it better. Set yourself up for success. Seek out some help and stay on the straight and narrow on your journey on the road to Gainesville. I appreciate you spending some time with me today and I hope you're seeing what I see, that truly anyone can run. We drop a new episode of the Anyone Can Run podcast almost every Monday in case you're in need of that Monday motivation. If you've ever got questions or ideas for a topic you'd like covered in a future episode, feel free to hit me up on Instagram or Twitter at AnyoneCanRunPod. We also currently open the Mix Gym, located at Mixer.com slash TrueBros, on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 6 p.m. Central Time, so be sure to follow and turn on notifications if you ever want to talk running or anything else with me in real time or to show a little support for yours truly. If you enjoy Anyone Can Run, notify a fellow runner or someone who wants to kick off their journey on the road to Gainesville so we can all help one another reach our goal of living a healthy and fit lifestyle. It also helps when you leave a quick rating and review in your podcast app of choice to help us reach our goal of dominating the charts. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Anyone Can Run podcast. And if you did, don't forget to pound that subscribe button. If you didn't enjoy it well, you get what you paid for. And regardless, I look forward to seeing you on the road to Gainesville.